When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Good afternoon, good day, and good night. Welcome back to Team of Our Lives, the only and best Naughties based football podcast where we like to stamp like Dennis Burkamp, stride like Brian McBride, and plough like Eddie Howe. In this bonus episode, before we endeavour upon the World Cup miniseries, we will be d- d- today discussing the trials and tribulations of the Welsh national team in the Naughties. With a good proportion of Premier League stars in that national side, did they under achieve in comparison to their more recent compatriots they are set to take part in their first world cup since 1958 this month so what happened to them in the noughties to help guide us through the welsh dragon of the task that we have upon us today we have roped in a man who works for uefa is a professional sports broadcaster and commentator and singer i believe so please welcome to the pod the man with the soothing welsh tones of tom jones and the ball knowledge of several ian rushes it's Mr. Tom Parry Jones. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, you, you mentioned Tom Jones there. I mean, almost my namesake. No, exactly. I was, I was going to say, if it wasn't for the Parry, I suppose, uh, would you get, <laughs> you get Mr. When you're at choir practice? Is uh, I mean, people know what Tom Jones looks like, so uh, and what he sounds like. So no, there's no danger of me being mistaken for the great man. But uh, <laughs> I say great man. He, he's a controversial figure in Wales, but we won't go into that too much. 
good. Yeah, it's a football podcast. It's a try and <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, so let's dive into this World Cup, 2022, first of all. I've got a quick um, question for you. Uh-huh. So we're, we're a naughty-based football podcast. Do you know, and if you did, this would be amazing for knowledge, by the way. So in the year 2000, what was, fir- what was the first Wales international match of the decade? Who are they playing? Wales, in the first game of 2000. Um, the first international match of the decade of the noughties for Wales. Yeah. Um, I won't be surprised if you Bel- Belarus. I don't know. No, it was it was Qatar. Oh really? Yeah. What? That's excellent knowledge. There we go. Was... I'm going to take that to the World Cup with me. You, you absolutely should. So yeah, we should mention you, you're going to the World Cup as well. You're looking forward to it, and can we do and tell the people what you're doing there? Yeah, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I, I'm flying out on on Monday, so we're recording this obviously on on Thursday. I'm going out in four days' time, um, and yeah, I'm going to be working for the host broadcaster, a company called HBS, um, as a graphics producer. So normally I work as a a football stato at, alongside my voiceover work. I work for the Premier League, UEFA. Um, Major League Soccer, uh, Serie A, all sorts of things like that. And um, yeah, I got the call up for the World Cup a few months ago. Um, we've been preparing for it ever since. Um, and it's not just going to be your, your standard fare of uh, possession shots. It's the, Arsene Wenger's been working with a team at FIFA um, to develop new uh, stats for better understanding the game and how these particular stats uh, contribute to a team's chances of winning and we're tasked with taking those stats putting them in graphic form and getting them out to you the viewers uh before during and after games uh with the hope of you know improving people's understanding of the game of football the, the beautiful game that sounds amazing i'm very very envious to get to go out there. <laughs> well, and i'm going to all three wales games well actually that better isn't it I mean, yeah I imagine there's too many welsh people going because I, I looked at going and the tickets for the matches weren't too bad. It was just the accommodation was astral. yeah, sky high. Like, I, and it's getting into the country as well. There's all sorts of visa requirements, which, fortunately for me, as someone who's being employed to go there, um, I am not exempt from. But you know, they've they've streamlined the process for me. Um, I know people who are staying in the UAE and flying in for the games. Yeah, it's somehow it's actually cheaper to stay in the UAE and fly in for each game. Or maybe not cheaper, but definitely easier. Um, and yeah, I'm actually looking forward to catching up with a few mates uh, when I'm there. Fair play, fair play indeed. And how, how do you rate Wales' chances? Um, I It varies day to day. Like Sometimes I feel, yeah, we can do England, and I feel like we'll get points off um, USA and Iran. But then other days, I'm like, actually, Iran are a decent team right now. And the US, like, they didn't look great in qualifying, but they've looked good in recent friendlies. So uh, Wales could finish anywhere from first to fourth. <laughs> like, it, it sounds like a truism. Well, we'll talk about Wales in the North season. Yeah. Kind of um, qualification groups are a bit like that as well. Is it Carlos Kiros is still in charge of Iran? I think he is. He's been in charge of a lot of teams in the Middle East. I think he's been with Egypt as well, but... Yeah, he's uh, been a very busy man in that area. Yeah, fair play to him. Fair play. I, I actually got stuck in Qatar once. That's my Qatar story. Okay. Out of visa. So, oh. It's a dodgy situation. Probably for another podcast. Probably for, not even a football podcast. But it was po- Possibly not even for public. Yeah, I mean, really, I should shut my mouth. <laughs> he's still on the wanted list. Interpol are after him. 
Yeah, I've got one of those uh, Ace of Spades with my face on it. <laughs> it's hit list. Um, anyway, enough about politics. Um, so we always start the podcast with three questions for our guests uh, about the naughty. So, uh, Tom, who is your favourite naughty? So, I know you start with this, with these three, and I, I tried to go with players for each question who fit my my interests in football. So I went with. Uh, so I'm a Man United fan, and I went for a Man United player as my favourite player. I went for Ruud van Nistelrooy, who um, recently I was working on, on a Premier League show with um, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank in Yap Stam, and they were tasked with picking the best Dutch players ever to play in the Premier League, and they rated Ruud van Nistelrooy as number three behind Dennis Bergkamp and Robin van Persie. Just, I mean, he scored 95 goals in 150 games in the Premier League. He wasn't there long, but he was a prolific. I think Van Persie, uh, I think Bergkamp was easier in the eye. Mm-hmm. Depends what you want of a striker, I guess. But... Sure. Most talented Dutch player, I think, ever to play in the Premier League. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure. But Ruud van Nistelrooy, for me, he was he's my, my favourite noughties player. I, I mean, I could have gone with some players who were a bit more obvious, like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo or or Wayne Rooney or David Beckham, but uh, Van Nistelrooy was one of the first Man United players who I got printed on the back of a shirt. So, yeah, yeah, no. I loved him. Even my mum loved him. On Paris. <laughs> Chance's mum loves him, so do I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think he doesn't go on. He's not obviously not underrated because he, scored, he was consistently scoring 30-odd goals a season, which you don't really get from a striker nowadays. Not even. Yeah, he hit he hit twenty Premier League goals every season he was in the Premier League, except for one where he missed three months of the season. Yeah, well, that's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not spoken about as much as like a dropper or you know. Reed. I think that's partly because he left Man United under a bit of a cloud, um, and he left just bit, like he was there in at a point like he was personally very successful, but the club wasn't. Like he joined in two thousand and one. 0102 was the first season after that we didn't win the league after winning it three years in a row, and then we didn't win it again until the season after he left. So, um, and he wasn't part of that Champions League winning team in '99 or '08. So, yeah, he he like I say, very personally successful, but on team level, not so much. Yeah, point to be fair. Fair enough. Um, and who do you think was the most underrated footballer of the nineties? Most underrated player. I went for. Um, this was a player who doesn't who doesn't fit either of the teams I I really follow. Um, underrated player I went for Gianluca Zambrotta, the Italian fullback could play either left back or right back or as a wing back, sometimes even as a as a winger. Um, and just I I feel like he was of Philip Lahm caliber when it came to fullbacks. Like people talk about Philip Lahm as being one of the all time greats. Zambrotta, I feel, was just as good. And he was part of that Ita- uh, Italian team that won the 2006 World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. that's a great shout as well. I really liked Zambrotta as well. I'd always sign him. Too. I think maybe similar, similar to Lam, he didn't have too much pace. If I'm, I'm no, but his, his technical ability and his, his sense for the game was second to none, I think, apart from maybe each other. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, a bit of a short run at Barcelona. Where was yeah, Juve was his big team. I think yeah, I think he went to Inter as well, um, but yeah, it was. Hit, I remember him and uh, 
because it was the two Gianlucas. It was Gianluca Zambrotta at right back and Gianluca Pesotto at, at left back for Juve. Um, and yeah, they were they were a fantastic partnership. But Zambrotta definitely underrated for me. Yeah, that's a great shout. We've not had that one before. Um, and then finally, who was your least liked footballer? Was it was a football you thought, what are you doing on the pitch? Yeah. Uh, this was a player who committed an, an act so heinous that I wished he never wore a football shirt again. Um, uh, and he's a Welshman as well. And he did he played for Wales before he did the the, the act I'm going to talk about. The, but the player is Ben Thatcher. <laughs> and, yeah, and you you know exactly the incident I'm thinking of, don't you? Um, where he comes across and absolutely mullers uh, Pedro Mendes off the pitch. The guy's out cold and doesn't remember two or a day and a half of his life um because ben thatcher essentially assaulted him um i mean not not criminal assault no no charges were ever brought if uh, mr um king's counsel is listening but uh uh yeah uh i did not like ben thatcher anybody did i think his reputation tarnished after that i mean weird he played for some weird teams as well he was at wimbledon tottenham and city yeah I didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy him. Yeah, I don't think many people did. I think we might have had him before his well, mm. I, I, I just, I just googled him, and the first picture that came up is him elbowing a player in the face while he was playing for Wimbledon. Yeah, well, too fair. That's probably that's probably more Wimbledon than him. But yeah, so it, Wimbledon, Tottenham, Leicester, City, Charlton, Ipswich. Like, what, a, what, a, what a mid career. Like meaty teams are quite physical. Mm. Let's go on to Wales in the North East then. Just in general, how, how did you, as a, as, a, as, a, as a Wales fan, how did it feel? In, I know it's beautiful for hindsight with the 2010s being yeah. what is you know, quite a small nation, 3 million people. The North East, did you feel like you underachieved with that squad? Yeah, I think we did. Um, like you look at the start of the noughties and Mark Hughes taking over as Wales manager and you know, there was a bedding in period, but it was great to have a Welsh legend at the helm and we still had some amazing players uh, at our disposal. We had John Hartson and Craig Bellamy up front. Uh, Rob Earnshaw was in the team. Uh, Ryan Giggs was playing. Robbie Savage um, uh, in defence. You had the likes of Danny Gabadon, James Collins, Mark Delaney. Uh, Mark Pembridge was still playing in midfield. Um, Simon Davies, I forgot about him from um, from Spurs, uh, and in goal Paul Jones uh, of Southampton fame. You know that that was a that was a good team. Like I I remember one of my earliest memories of being a Wales fan was when I used to play champ, uh, Championship Manager in the in the nineties. And I know we're a naughty's podcast, but playing Championship Manager in the nineties, ninety seven, ninety eight. Bobby Gould would always get the sack within like a month of starting the game because Wales failed to qualify for the 98 World Cup. Um, so to get someone who I'd actually heard of in Mark, Mark Hughes as manager gave me hope. Obviously, we didn't make it to Euro 2000 or the 2002 World Cup, but then we had a chance in 2003 to qualify for Euro 2004. And we got, yeah, we got to a playoff against Russia. Um, and that was that was an interesting experience. We will get on to the tournament qualification process in a minute. Yeah. I'm thinking um, Mark Hughes was still playing at Blackburn. Yeah. 
Man. briefly. I think so. Win the League Cup in like 2001. Pretty sure became manager in 99 or he took over the kind of crossover period briefly. Whether he was full-fledged manager then, I'm not too sure. Yeah, but, took over in 99 and yeah, he was still playing at Blackburn until 2002. So, so I think Blackburn won the League Cup in 2002. So he would have been yeah. trophy. And he, he must have been picking players he was playing with and against for for the Wales team, like Nathan Blake or... Like, yeah. Uh, Savage was probably yeah he was probably playing with Robbie Savage at Blackburn wasn't he? Yeah. Deary me. Interesting. And then John Toshak took over halfway through you know, the decade. Yes, he did. He had a bit, bit of a mixed affair with Wales in the nineties as well, didn't he? Didn't he get yeah, he was manager for forty-seven days, uh, which is slightly longer than Liz Trust lasted. <laughs> um, Toshak also uh, outlasted by a lettuce, but still. Um, yeah, Toshak, he, he didn't have a great spell first time round, but then came back and, for me, he laid the groundwork for the Wales team that we have now. Him and his backroom staff. He had Roy Evans, ex-Liverpool manager, um, as his assistant, and he had a man called Brian Flynn uh, from South Wales, um, who was in charge of the, the intermediate uh, development side of things so the under 21s down to the under 16s um, and he basically identified all of the players who are household names today your Bales, your Ramses, uh, even players who might not have been originally considered Welsh um, by like Ashley Williams not born in Wales but he he's you know he's a proud Welshman now Hal Robson Carnu um, he's a fantastic story um, because Brian Little, Brian Little, Brian Flynn was tasked with, I'm, I've given away the name that I'm going to bring up in this story, but yeah, he was tasked with finding players who had any sort of Welsh connection, like a Welsh grandparent, you know, who could play for Wales. And um, he went round to Reading to watch another player. Um, it, I can't remember who it was, but he, he'd gone to watch a player who was definitely qualified for Wales. And he was just sort of walking around the training ground, you know, asking, are you Welsh? Are you Welsh? And Glenn Little, uh, the Reading midfielder at the time, he points at Hal Robson Carnu and says, he could play for Wales. He he goes on holiday there. And, like, and Brian uh, Brian Flynn goes to Hal Robson Carnu. He says, he, what, is that right? Where do you go on holiday? He goes, oh, I go to Tenby. Um, really? Why do you go there? Oh, yeah, we picked my grandmother up on the way from Caerphilly. And he's like, oh, is she she from there? She moved there? Yeah, she was born there. And that's how, how Robson Carnu came to play for Wales, because they found out just in through a joke from Glenn Little that Hal Robson Carnu's grandmother was from Caerphilly. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. And obviously went on to school then. Yeah, slightly out of the remit of the pod, but <laughs> yeah, I mean uh but yeah <laughs> good story, uh good story nonetheless. Um yeah, incredible stuff. Let's move back all the way back to the start of the noughties, and we kind of touched on it briefly. World Cup 2002 qualification, I guess, was the first major tournament of the decade. So, oh. to speak. and uh, Wales finished fifth out of sixth in their qualifying group. They were in that group uh, with Poland, Ukraine, who uh, both qualified or mm-hmm. advanced to the playoffs at least. Uh, Belarus finished third, which I found a bit odd because I've never ever considered them other than no. Well, uh, that was why I came up with Belarus as the answer earlier when you said about. Uh first game of the 2000s yeah, they, they, they got 15 points they won four games which is pretty nice that's nuts Norway done pretty bad as well I thought Norway had a half decent side in the early 90s um, 
finished fourth, and then Wales, and then Armenia as well. Um, Wales only won one game. They drew, which was against Belarus. Oh, it's John Hartson um, scoring six draws. Six draws. It's a lot, isn't it? Like it, that was the thing. We just couldn't kill games off. Like we had a decent defence, and but scoring goals was an issue. Absolutely. You still have them. We mentioned them a little bit earlier on. Chris Coleman was still hanging in. Robbie Savage, Craig Bellamy, Gary Speed, Ryan Giggs, John Hartson as well. Um, I always felt Giggs underachieved with Wales. I suppose to an extent he did. You, you wouldn't be alone in thinking that. I think that's the, the, the prevalent theory among Wales fans. I, it, but the thing is, like, he, he never played. Like, he played a lot of games, but there was a lot of games where Alex Ferguson would basically ring up Bobby Gould or whoever it was at, at the helm at the time and say, Giggs, he's got a bit of a niggle. Maybe don't play him. Maybe don't call him up. And it made us question how how Welsh Ryan really thought he, like how Welsh he felt. Like obviously he played for us. He captained the team. And um, and as a Man United fan who's from Wales, um, you know Ryan Giggs was one of the major reasons why I support Man United because he's a, the best well one of the best Welsh players we've ever had. Um. But yeah, he um, he definitely underachieved. Like when when we go back through the lists of players who, like the greatest players of all time who never played in a major tournament, Ryan Giggs will be on a top ten list. Yeah, hundred percent. I can agree with more there. Um, so that that particular qualifying process for the World Cup, do you put that down to Mark Hughes being inexperienced, or was it? Did you have the players? Um, possibly. I think that maybe there was a little bit of naivety, but it might also have been just the mentality of the team. You know, the last time we came even close to qualifying for a major tournament was for the 1994 World Cup, when Paul Bowden missed a penalty against Romania to essentially seal our doom. And then France 98, we got um, we got mullered in qualifying. Um, like we only won two games out of eight. Scored 20 goals somehow, um, but didn't really come close to qualifying and then Mark Hughes coming in with this sort of I feel bad saying it but I feel like we had like a loser mentality really yeah um there was just a sort of we we accept our lot in life we're just little whales and we're never going to make it to a major tournament again I suppose Iceland and other teams like that have kind of rewritten the rule book to a certain extent. Well, I- Iceland and Wales at the same tournament in 2016. I think other teams who maybe have overachieved for a small nation. Like Slovenia made it to Euro 2000. Um, there have been others, but uh, no one no one really did it like Wales and Iceland in Euro 2016. Like for Wales to make it to the semis, Iceland to make it to the to the quarters. Iceland is a country with a population smaller than that of Leicester. Thirty thousand, I think it is. Yeah, I think yeah, uh, th- three hundred thousand, something like that. Crazy, crazy. Nice, nice. Have you got any Icelandic grandparents? I didn't like <laughs> yeah, I wish. I, I my my days of uh, playing football are long gone. I wish I wish I had someone to give me a call up though. Never know. You never know. Okay. Um, Euro two thousand four playoffs and a bit more successful, very successful, I'd say. Um, oh yeah. So, um, so uh, group of five, you had Italy, 
finishing top of the group. Wales finished second with 13 points advanced to the playoffs. We'll touch on in a second. Um, Serbia Montenegro, good Serbia Montenegro side, by the way. Had a lot of good players still knocking about. Uh, third, Finland at this point in fourth. And Azerbaijan in fifth. Wales winning four of the eight games, drawing one this time. So they didn't draw six before and uh, lost three. Um, they also beat Italy uh, 2-1 in one of the uh, games as well. With goals from I've got the- it on DVD. On DVD, no way. Yeah. yeah, the BBC released it on DVD on a. Uh, the t- they called it Bellissimo. Of course they did. But yeah, what, those, you remember, those four games, by the way, that you mentioned, the, the four that Wales won, we won our first four. We were top of the group after the first four games um, mm. because, because of that win over Italy. Um, so yeah, by the end of November 2002, we were top of the group with 12 points. So is Mark Hughes in charge still at this point? Was this when? Yeah, still at that point. Yeah, he he, um, he took us all the way up to um... something changed. Yeah, I think it was it was that the the team was gelling and Mark Hughes was bedding in. Um, we introduced around this time as well. Yeah, so we had a lot. Of, we had a talented eleven. The trouble was no strength in depth, and also. Um, I think we got done in the playoffs. Um, there was uh, there was a Russian player. So yeah, we made it to the playoffs. We get paired with Russia, and um, there's it's a it's a goalless draw in Moscow. So we're we're thinking we can do this. We bring the second leg back to Cardiff, and we lose one nil. I think Ryan Giggs got sent off in the game, but. It later turned out that one of the Russian players, a guy called Yegor Titov, had tested positive for a banned substance called bromantane. Um, and UEFA decided to take no action over it, saying, you know, there was no way they... Or he, didn't, he didn't have a material impact on the second leg. or there was, he, there was one of the games he didn't have a material impact on, so the fact that he tested positive didn't matter. And I'm like, well, he was in the squad. He tested positive how can you not punish them but you know what matters is the results on the pitch and Wales lost 1-0 so yeah it's heartbreaking yeah yeah yeah, and obviously that famous tournament the grief that went in so who knows it could have been it could have been a year it could have been another plucky minnow well that like is it that's that's the uh, the big one isn't it Greece the the the, uh, the big minnows who go on and win it we talked about Wales and Iceland that's uh, for me it was quite a boring tournament to watch. I remember fourteen at the time. Yeah, but, um, I, was, I remember Greece won it over Portugal. Yeah, over well, Cristiano Ronaldo's first major tournament. You know, you're still looking for that uh, rookie sticker. Oh, uh, <laughs> but people keep buying them off there, so I have to give. Yeah. Um, but I remember Nelly Furtado did the song for Euro 2004. There's a song called Forza because she she's Canadian, but she has Portuguese um, ancestry. So they asked her to, and she was big at the time, Nelly Furtado. So they asked her to do the official song. Very bizarre, good knowledge. Eh? Um, <laughs> yeah, quick quick diversion to 2022 World Cup. So at the 2018 World Cup, Robbie Williams opens the uh, open proceedings at the opening ceremony. He's doing the same 2022. I mean, I the decisions that are made at the top of. I'm going to stay silent. Because I will be punished. You probably said you're working at the darn thing, but yeah. I, I will say to someone who's quite a, let's say, free-loving 
notorious person for I don't know, let's say all, all, all the uh, things after dark. Mm-hmm. It's an odd choice to be, uh, you know, could go could have gone with Charlotte Church or someone, you know, could, could have, you know, could have, bit of respect, you know. Very... <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? But anyway, uh, splendid. Back on Norway's football. Um, World Cup 2006. What a vacation. A really difficult group, I guess, because you're in the same qualifying group as England, Poland, Austria, Northern Ireland. Wales finished fifth of six. So I guess this was probably the first tournament um, when you switched managers, was it? Yeah, I think it must have been. Um, my uh, like my knowledge of, of that sort of time in, in Welsh football, like you, you kind of switch off from it in a way. Like the, it's only recently that, at least for me, I've been able to sort of get right back into supporting Wales, and maybe it makes me a fair weather fan. But I've only—it's only been the last few years that I've been able to afford to support Wales and like go and do Wales supporting things. But yes, uh, that was John Toshak's first uh, qualification campaign. He took over after Mark Hughes left in '04. Yeah, he left to go money for Blackburn, Mark Hughes. Yes. Um, yeah, you did win two games though, uh, beating Northern Ireland and Azerbaijan. Um, and the top goal scorer through that process was actually Ryan Giggs, but he only got three, which kind of dictates maybe the argument was probably not. Yeah, well, yeah, we only scored ten goals in ten games. Like, it's it's not a good return, but that that was par for the course from for the noughties and and even into qualification for uh, World Cup twenty fourteen. You know, we scored ten, ten. Nine nine. It's not a good return. It's to score thirty eight goals in forty games. Yeah, you're quite right. You're quite right. I, I've got a, a very friend who's a fan, and I, I told him I was doing an episode on Wales noughties, and he he said it's kind of like the international version of watching non league football. Is how he described it. Yeah, it it kind of is. Like you you watch it because you're morbidly curious about what's going to happen to with the neighbours next door. Um. Yeah, it's like watching a watching the neighbours fighting in the in the yard outside. Fair enough. Uh, we've got a few more players going to join the team. This, uh, this mm-hmm. James Collins, Sean Muster, and Jason K- Jason Kumas is a player that fascinates me. Yeah, I never watch like old clips of Premiership years. He always seems like he was absolutely bossing it. I can't mm-hmm. of exactly how good he was. I think he was he was decent, but he was never never particularly world class. Like he was always a useful player to have in your midfield, but I don't think he ever had a, a primary position nailed down. And so it makes it difficult to make it at international level. I think I'd just ask uh, Phil Neville. Um, or, I mean, John O'Shea a bit more successful, but yeah, when you talk about utility players like, uh, like Jason Kumas, like, I, I think of Jason Kumas a bit like I think of Johnny Williams these days, yep. like talented players, but just never never produce week in week out like you wish they would. Yeah. Good fair point, to be honest. Fair point. And what the you put it down to John Toshak's again? It was this when he was molding the club. Is this why? You yeah, definitely. I think he he was molding the 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 side. He was you know trying to he put a lot of emphasis on on youth. And and bringing like the next generation of Wales players through, but also he he his hand was forced a bit by a lot of players retiring from international football after um, the Euro two thousand and four campaign. Um, Giggs retired shortly after that as well, um, but the likes of Hearts and uh, 
and Robbie Savage retired. He, he like Toshek called him to say, "I'm not called. I'm not picking you for this squad." And Sav was like, "All right, well, I was retiring anyway." So it it was a bit of it was a bit of both when it comes to retirements and also Tosh trying to bring new players through. But um, I don't think he I don't think he really liked Robbie Savage either. Yeah, well, can I say many people did at the time? <laughs> An interesting fact about Robbie Savage: only ever sent off once in his professional career, and it was in a game for Wales. Really? Yeah, no, people never believe it because he was a very he was a tough tackling midfielder. Until recently, he was the most yellow carded player in Premier League history, and then someone else overtook him. Relatively. I think was it Kevin Davis got yeah. a lot of yellow cards. Robbie Savage got like ninety-seven or something. Yeah, I think. Kevin Davis was about the same number. I'm, I'm sure he was top, and then Sav was close behind. Still gets sent off. That's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. Never sent off for at club level, Robbie Savage. Think about Robbie. I remember. So I live near Plymouth. I used to Plymouth player, and um, when he played for Derby County, Mingles. That was an eight time. Just he looked woeful in the championship. Let's say he was the ball boy for a ball at him. Yeah. In the head rather than him catching it. <laughs> oh. oh, poor Sav. He's had a hard life. I like him as a as a pundit. I actually quite like him. Yeah, it's quite well on TV. Um, just not on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Was he your disliked player? I I went for Ben Thatcher. He actually named the uh, the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. He thought we do. Um, Superb. Right, lovely stuff. Two thousand eight qualification. Then so um, John Toshak is fully. Fully in, immersed in the team, he's had time to kind of uh, kind of culminate a, a squad together, I guess, and kind of gel the team a bit. A very tough group, though. Um, Czech Republic top in the group, uh, Germany coming second. He's a German team that was just getting all these youngsters come through. We expect about Schweinsteigers, the Podolskis, the Alarms. Uh, Republic of Ireland finishing third, doing quite well. Slovakia, then Wales, then Cyprus, and San Marino. San Marino getting no points, by the way. Um, a tough. Yeah. Group. Impressive, some impressive, you got four wins, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Impressive win over Slovakia, 5-2, but then in the reverse leg of that, they beat you 5-1. Yeah, they absolutely humped us. So, yeah, again, it seems a bit disappointing to me. I mean, you got 15 points, you're only two points off Ireland who finished third, um, I guess. So, but so, 12 behind second place Germany. Like, yeah, I mean, that's where you've got to the line, I guess. And in those, like in those days, remember, like there were seven teams in a qualification group. It was very, very difficult to qualify because the the you play so many more games, the differences between the teams get magnified um, by quite a lot. Like nowadays, when you've got five or six teams in a group, and especially now, like Wales have been been drawn in a a five team group for qualification for the for Euro twenty twenty four. I fancy our chances of qualifying, like not just because it's a twenty-four team finals, but also because when you've only got five teams to play, your chances of finishing in the top two are pretty good. Absolutely, it's, it is very odd as well. So teams like Cyprus or San Marino, to some extent, are never going to have hope in hell with a format like that. No, it is a bit weird. Um, yeah, yeah, your top goal scorer throughout this qualification process was the man we just spoke about, Jason Cumas, with four goals uh, in two thousand and six. Gareth Bale. Uh, made his debut, became the youngest senior Welsh national player at the time. Yeah, one defeat to Slacker, he scored a free kick. He's getting yes, he did as well. Um, and it was it was under John Toshak that, like, well, it was Tosh who who really identified Bale as 
as a player who could play forward more. Obviously, he was he was playing left back for Southampton and then for Spurs, uh, but it was, I mean, well, Tosh takes credit for it anyway. He, he sort of saw Bale as a more forward-going player. Yeah, fair enough. I don't, yeah. If it was it a, watching Wales in that period of time, I don't know if you kind of if you're tentative at that time. Was it obvious he had that class? He had, had that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, de- he was. He was. Uh, he, you could tell that he was going to be up there as one of the the greatest Welsh players. I mean, I don't think I would say he is the greatest Welsh player, and I say that as someone who, like I say before, um, who. Ryan Giggs was the reason I support Man United. I, I used to think Ryan Giggs was the greatest Welsh player. It is Gareth Bale. Mm. There's no question in my mind. Gareth Bale is the best player ever to play for Wales. What, what did he make of his career at the moment? He was just going to the MLS. He just won the Cup Well, yeah, he, he essentially won MLS Cup for LAFC because he came on in the well late in the game. It goes to eight minutes of injury time at the end of uh, extra time. And he scores in the 128th minute. And then I'm sure he would have taken the fifth penalty, but LAFC scored their first three and their keeper makes three saves. So they they win the penalty shootout, I think, 3-1. Absolutely crazy. crazy. Yeah. I really like Bale. And I remember watching him play when he was, was a left-back at Tottenham. Um, went up to go and watch United play. And he didn't look amazing, but then watching him against Inter Milan in those two legs under... Yeah was just obscene. And then it seemed like that was the catalyst that he turned into a attacking midfielder that he could play anywhere on the pitch, really. Mm-hmm. Some of the things he'd done at Real Madrid as well were just unheard of. I don't know if he played FIFA, but he was like the fastest man on the game at one point. Yeah. It was obscene. And I think because, you know, you know, watching Spanish football over here could be quite difficult at times. I think if, let's say La Liga was on, I don't know, ITV or BBC, and you're watching Gareth Bale every every, every um, every night or whatever as much as you could from a UK perspective I think he'd be given more credit today as a result of that if more people watched the entirety of the 90 minutes he played for Real Madrid I think he was he was really unlucky not to, not to have the praise and more often. I, I think he he um, he didn't earn the respect of the fans in Madrid because he he didn't give off the impression of a man who actually wanted to be there I mean, he learned Spanish. Like he, he didn't speak it very well, but he learned. And like, he, he leaves Real Madrid, goes to LAFC, and in his first press conference, gets asked a question in Spanish and responds in perfect Spanish. But there's this theory amongst among Real Madrid fans that oh, Bale didn't care about being in Spain. He was just there to collect a paycheck and play golf. It really destroys me because his first two or three years there, he was like really highly regarded. It's, it's just mm. instant media thing, isn't it? Of like people only remember your last fifteen minutes rather than you know fucking six eight years. Mm-hmm. You're there kind of thing. You know, Ronaldo's going through some sort of thing at the moment. But you, they they had that front three of Bale, Benzema, and, and Ronaldo. The BBC. Um, they would, obviously, I just called him Ronaldo. Bale, Benzema, and Cristiano. Um, like that shows you how iconic he was as part of that triumvirate, and he scored some banging goals in Champions League finals of like no less scored a bicycle kick in a in a Champions League final scored the the long ranger against Liverpool um I mean helped by Loris Carius having um you know WD40 on his goalie gloves but 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that final was by no means the best final of all time, but I think that is probably the greatest Champions League final goal of all yeah. time. Uh, I mean, up there with Ronaldo's bicycle kick against Juve. Zidane's. No, oh. yeah, Ronaldo in the in the Cardiff final in um yeah in 2017. Naughty football brain or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's too recent for me. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, that was quality as well. To be fair. Yeah. Um, but my goal that sticks out to me again, sticking off the noughties, was the is it Cup del Rey final where he just took the ball past. I can't remember who was playing for Barcelona at the time. Then sprinted back on the pitch because he was <laughs> yes. I've never seen to this day. I've still like you see over a kicks every now and then, but I've never seen a goal where he's so far back, gets taps the ball past him and has to run off the pitch to get momentum to go past him back on the pitch. Might have been, mm. I don't even know. But um, then yeah, it just kind of scores by dribbling it in from the halfway line. It's yeah, that to me sums up how good he was. Won the won the trophy for him. But, yeah, I mean he just he justified his his fee and his and his wage definitely at the beginning less so at the end but i that was a i feel like it was a personal thing between him and the and the coaches at real madrid and then at one point it's just they just wanted him out yeah real madrid are very good at creating heroes but then also tossing them out at the same time correct and and they continue to do so today uh splendid stuff well around this time as well 2008-ish, uh, the Wales squad also got the likes of uh, Joe Ledley, Wayne Hennessy, and uh, all-time appearance holder Chris Gunter made his oh. appearance as well. Is he going to be going to the... I've heard rumours of the uh, 2022 World Cup. He might be going as a bit more of a tokenistic gesture. I think he probably is. I don't think he'll be playing um, as the starting right-back, but he, he's a, a fine option. Um and the experience he brings to that team is is great. And the other thing I really like is um, Robert Page's decision to take David Brooks, um, not as part of the squad, but he is going to travel with the team because obviously he's still recovering from cancer. Um, but uh, yeah, to take him and just to be part of the the Wales camp is is a great gesture from Rob Page. Absolutely, yeah, top top stuff. Um, towards the back end of the decade, so you're qualifying for the World Cup 2010, again in a group of some pretty hefty teams, Germany, old foes, Russia, uh, being seconds, Finland, you finishing fourth uh, with only 12 points, Azerbaijan and Liechtenstein, um, again, played 10-1-4, this time didn't draw a single game, but you did lose six, only scoring nine goals in 10 yeah, we we used to have a problem with um, not being able to turn draws into wins, and now we have a problem with no draws and just turning them all into losses. Um, if you can, if if we could have turned some of those losses into into draws, not that any of them were particularly close, but we might have been going to the twenty ten World Cup. But that's the thing, this period in in Welsh football, like it was it was such a transition transitionary period. Um, it was all about laying that groundwork for what has happened in the 2010s and now into the 2020s. Um, so I I was willing, like, and I said before, you know, I wasn't like totally invested in the Wales team in in the in the noughties. After that, like, gut wrenching uh, loss to Russia in the playoffs, and then UEFA not doing anything about it 
um, about the um, the drugs thing, um, it was very easy to just go, oh, well, we're just, we're just little old whales. We're not going to do anything. Um, I now own a T-shirt from um, a company in Wales that reads on it, and it like the entire quote is... Like it's just a wall of text, but it's it's a quote from a TalkSport Facebook comment, I think, that says something like, Wales are now ranked 111th in the world below the Faroe Islands. Um, when when are they going to just pool resources with uh, with Scotland and England and call it a day? And that was like just before we got to. Um, well, it, it was at the it was at the uh, the nadir, the, the the very bottom of our our FIFA rankings history. And then five years later, we get to the Euro 2016. Then we almost get to World Cup 2018. Go to Euro 2020, and now we're going to the, our first World Cup in 64 years. Incredible story, isn't it? it really yeah, is. absolutely mad. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fair weather fan. Yeah, well, <laughs> I understand it to a degree. I mean, if we started doing really well in the rugby again, you know, I'll be yeah, I was thoroughly on board in 2003 when we won the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't say I paid too much attention to it. From, and I'm from, I mean, England have been to a couple of World Cup finals since then. Oh, it's, it's true. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough. So 2010 qualification then, is it too strong a word to say of me it kind of reverted to type a bit after like a promising qualification process before that? Yeah, I think so. I think um, that, well, the Euro 2008, it was a bit of a flash in the pan, It showed, but it showed what we were potentially capable of you know getting four wins out of out of 12 games was was uh, was not bad i mean again like i said before playing 12 games is is a lot of qualification games to go through but it showed that we were capable of beating some fairly good teams but yeah going going in qualification for 2010 you, you when you're just picking up wins against the likes of san marino and um and cyprus it makes you wonder where the where the wins against the big teams are going to come from. At least in the early two thousands, in the early noughties, we we had wins against Brazil. We we beat or we beat Brazil. We beat Germany. We beat Italy, or one of those might have been a draw. Um, but we had those wins to sort of fall back on. By the time the end of the noughties came around, we didn't have any recent big wins to fall back on to go yes this team is capable of big things let's go on and and show the world what we're capable of absolutely yeah absolutely spot on i think um again this qualification process you had some more kind of youngsters join the squad sam vokes uh ashley williams joe allen aaron ramsey and uh, andy king yeah um sam vokes another one that brian flynn recruited uh, who not not especially Welsh, but he had the ancestry to to get him in the squad. Yeah, I don't think Ashley Williams as well. No, he well he was one that he I think he's from Birmingham. Um, but yeah, he was um, he was found through the the Brian Flynn recruiting program. Mm, absolutely, and Brian Flynn um, he took over briefly. Uh, yeah, sort of on an interim basis. That gap before um, Gary Speed took the helm as well. Yes. Um, so do you put down the success of the 2010s? How much of it do you give to Brian Flint? How much of it do you give to Gary Speed? How much of it do you give to Steve? Or is it a combination of all three? I, I do give it to all of them. I, like, it was it was Toshak with the 
the the presence of mind to say, look, we we have, we've we've we, we've passed a golden generation with the likes of Giggs and Bellamy, etc. We've passed that golden generation. Let's blood the new guys. Brian Flynn, he had the 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 powers of recognition to spot a talent and also to find talents who had clandestine Welsh heritage and then to take that on with Gary Speed who he had a he had a blueprint for um where this Welsh team was going to go he actually believed that we were going to do great things and I can't believe I didn't actually mention Gary Speed as part of the the Welsh team in 2004 as a player but yeah to for him to just have that have that sheer belief and be able to express that to his to his players he deserves so much more credit than he ever got while he was alive and it, it was a real tragedy that that he um he took his own life in i think 2011 um yeah and and that was just when we were looking good as well because we we beat Norway four one in his final game, uh, which I actually was at. Really? Yeah. Um, obviously, none of us knew that. Like ten, fifteen days later, he was he was going to be a news story for a different reason. Um, and I don't think any of us will ever know what the true reason was for why he took his own life. There, there have been rumours, but I don't think anything's ever been. Sometimes it's best off not knowing. Indeed, and I think it's best to remember Gary as the inspirational figure that he was, and the one that turned a small nation of, as you mentioned, three million people into a country that people have actually heard of. Um, Like, you can go to a country, you can go on holiday in Europe now, or I can, and I say, oh, when they ask you where you're from, and you say Wales, and they go, oh, Gareth Bale. Like, you're like, they've actually heard of, they've actually heard of Wales now. We're not just a, a tiny corner of England, like we used to be considered. Um, and I, I know English people love to harp on, like, oh, you're just a principality, like, and you're basically irrelevant compared to England, but we're not anymore. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Indeed, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in Wales. It's got a Welsh last name, you know, Parliament Heritage as well. So, yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, fair play. I think everything you've said is justified, indeed. Um, a couple of other facts over the Welsh Maltese decade. Uh, as you wrote, Brazil came to Cardiff in 2000 with you a 3 0 spanking, but that, that must be quite exciting at Millennium Stadium, seeing Rivaldo, all these, all these amazing players. And... Yeah, if I'd been there, I'm sure I would have said the same. <laughs> I, I I have to be honest. I I didn't actually live in Wales until I was fifteen. I was born in Wales, but I grew up just on the other side of the border in Chester. Okay. Um, and then I lived in Singapore for seven and a half years. Really? Yeah. So we came back and uh, yeah, I I have an excuse for my first ever Wales game being a friendly against Canada in Wrexham in two thousand and four. It's interesting. Yeah. Paul Parry scored the winner. There's a player you don't hear mentioned very often. Absolutely, if at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, between October 2001 and March 2003, Wales went on a 10-game unbeaten run. So there was a bit of hope there uh, under under Mark Hughes. Um, this one was when I was doing my research. It was like the most interesting thing 
I think I've ever read. Well, no, that's an exaggeration. But this is quite interesting. So in May 2006, uh, Wales played a very weird, quite famous game. Do you know what it is? No. Friendly. Friendly. No, you're going to have to tell me. It, it It was against the Basque 11. Oh, wow. Regional area of Spain. Yeah. Um, they played it in Bilbao. Of uh, you won one nil. And apparently, this whole game only came about because of Don uh, Toshak's time managing in Spain. He was manager of Real Sociedad, of course. Um, yeah. Indeed. Um, so that's the only reason this game came about. Wow. Up to this point, so the Bar- the Basque eleven, obviously, kind of, again, not get too, but let's call kind of sub regions of Spain, a bit like. Catalonia. The autonomous region, yeah. A bit like Catalonia. They're not kind of like officially recognised by FIFA or UEFA. Um, so up to this point in 2006, the Basque 11 had only played 28 games in their history. Wow. 12 of those games were before 1939. Oh, goodness me. So they played 12 international games before 1939. And they played a couple in the 50s, a couple in the 60s. Season. Then there was a gap where they just didn't play, and then yeah. the first game back essentially was against Wales in May 2006. And um, Ivan Campo was the player I picked out. But, uh, later. Yeah, I, I, Jose Echeverria. I've just got, I've pulled up the team like Echeverria for, uh, from Bilbao. Julen Guerrero was a good player. Mikel Alonso, uh, Chabi Alonso's, I think Chabi's brother uh, was in the team as well. And uh, a certain Gareth Bale was on the on the bench for Wales. Crazy, isn't it? That's a, such a crazy story. Hmm. Yeah, because he made yeah, Bale made his debut on the twenty seventh of May two thousand and six. So it was in he was in the squad. This was before he even made his debut. He was on the bench and didn't make his debut against the Basque Eleven. I'll tell you what, if that's ever a quiz question, when when did Bale first make the squad? If the answer is yeah, no one's ever getting that. No, that's great knowledge. I'm, I'd be surprised if it even counted as a proper international. That's true. That's true to me. <laughs> yeah, if you want to bring that up in uh, your, your time in Qatar, I'll be interested to see if it kind of trickles through to the television. I'm, I'm going to be more likely to bring up the fact that Wales's first game of the 2000s was against Qatar. Do you want to credit the podcast as well? I but... certainly will. I will be crediting this all the way to the bank. Well, we spoke. Well, good. You 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 mentioned that first game of the decade in 2000. Who did Wales play in the last game of the decade, 2010? Oh God. One 3-0. I I have actually got the uh, results up on my screen right now, but I'm uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to cheat. I I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't uh, if I hadn't looked it up. So November two thousand and nine, the the day before my twenty second birthday, we beat Scotland three 0 Very good, indeed, lovely stuff. Um, so just to quickly sum up the decade, the Wales between two thousand and twenty and ten, how was it trauma? Was it just no inspiration? Was no one that bothered? I suppose. How, how would you sum it up? I, I think that I think that sums it up. Players just didn't really care as as much as they do now. Like there wasn't that nationalistic movement that we have now. Um, and it, for some of the players, it was just an excuse to you know play a bit of international football. I, I think. That was one of the things for Hal Robson Carnu. He, like, he wasn't a a big name player. Oh no, Ashley Williams. Ashley Williams. He was. 
Yes, that's the story. Ashley Williams was playing for Stockport uh, and Brian Flynn had come down and he was like, oh, I've got some Welsh ancestry. And like playing international football for Wales essentially launched his career. But that was it for um, for many of the players. It was an excuse to sort of zhuzh up their, uh, their international CVs. Interesting. Rather than rather than looking for, you know, actual success because there wasn't much on the horizon. But now we, yeah, now we have players who. So I read a story earlier about uh, a man called Ian Gwyn Hughes who used to work for the BBC. He was a Welsh football correspondent for the BBC, and now he works as the public affairs manager for the Football Association of Wales, and he has been responsible for wales's like the, the faw's outward profile making us like look good outwards but also their inward profile and making sure that the players all buy into welsh culture and like you see players who not born in wales but they're all singing the national anthem on the pitch before the game um and i think that as much as anything you know giving players a reason to be proud of playing for their not just not just a country, but their country, this country, has has given us brand new impetus on the on the international stage. You know, these three of the last four international tournaments that we qualified for, um, channeling the spirit of fifty eight. Yeah, I think it gives a bit of fight as well. That kind of yeah, New Zealand rugby players in Hacker, I think. Yeah, yeah, similar similar sort of vibes. Fair enough. Well, that's the end of the Northeast chat. We're on to the first quiz of the podcast. It's deal or no deal. <music> to those listening for the first time, this is the transfer quiz. Uh, well, it's pretty much deal or no deal. It's true or false. I'm going to give you five Welsh players. You just have to try and uh, see if they're... Well, did these transfers happen, essentially? Um, one of them's in the 90s, though, but I had to get it in there. <laughs> okay, let's do it. To me. Are you ready? Yes. Your first one is Ian Rush. Did he move from Newcastle? Did he then go to Wrexham? I'm free. Deal or no deal? No deal. He did go to Wrexham to Newcastle. Wow. I'd completely forgotten. Or I might have given it away there. Yeah. Oh, I should have said deal. <laughs> Obviously. Up. There we go. Um, next one, Robert Earnshaw. Did he move from West Brom to Norwich for two point seven million? Deal or no deal? No deal. Deal. He did. Oh no. Well, <laughs> I just don't care about football transfers. Uh, Craig Bellamy. Did he move from West Ham to Cardiff for fourteen million pounds? No deal. Correct. He went to Man yeah. City. He did. Joe Cardiff. Cardiff haven't spent fourteen million on a player ever. That's true. Yeah, fair point. Uh, Joe Ledley. Did he move from Cardiff to Celtic on a free? Deal. Deal. Did. There we go. Yeah. Even even money at the moment for the last one. You uh, get over fifty percent. Gary Speed. Did he move from Bolton Wanderers to Southampton for £250,000? I don't think he ever played for Southampton. No deal. 
Correct. He moves yeah. United. Excellent. There we go. Three out of five, so you got over the average. Fair enough. Superb. There's no leaderboard for that. Oh, well, can I be the first one on it? Okay, we'll make a leaderboard. <laughs> by next week, there we go. Um, the real quiz, to quote the office, is what's in your panini? It's back for the uh, World Cup edition. Uh, we start, started off in the last podcast with myself, Harry and Mark, opening a pack for the 2022 World Cup. I'm bottom of the table with four out of a possible ten. Then Harry on 4.5. Then Mark is uh, so far on top of the table with five. Um, so we've got another pack here for you, Tom. Okay. We got we get a <laughs> we get I think our best player last time was like Yannick Carrasco or it was not very good at all. So Yannick Carrasco who famously went to China and then came back six months later because he hated it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Still a good player though. Um to some degree as well. So um we're gonna get bonus points if you get any Welsh players. Okay. Or any shinies we look favourably upon as well. And uh, if you get the Qatari Royal Flush, which is just a pack full of Qatar players. <laughs> That's an automatic 10 out of 10. You automatically win, essentially. Um, there you go. Are you ready? Let's do it. Yes. Here, the authentic seal of approval. Again, I've not opened too many of these packets, but they're a bit too busy for more, my kind of stickers. I kind of like the guys all know. Um, but here we go. Looking to go top of the table. Can we redeem ourselves from deal or no deal? And we start with Mark Anthony K of Canada. I'll try and put that up. Oh, I, obviously a 10 out of 10 player. It's not a great start. Is no. It? Great start. Sorry, Mark Anthony. Canada, of course. Oh, we got a shiny, though. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's a shiny. And it's, I think it's, it's the... sticker number one or two? Which is the shiny Panini footballer. Wow. The um, it is, oh, it's not even number one or two. It's the zero zero. Oh, oh, that? that's a that's a ten out of ten. So far, it's a really cool looking sticker to describe. Yeah. It's not all shiny. Panini. It looks gold from some angles and then green from others. Panini logo is what it is. Oh. Bad again. It's not a player or a team. Sticker number zero. Number zero. Very weird. Uh, you then go to Saudi Arabia with Mohammed Al Rubai. Uh, oh, one of the goalkeepers. Yep, he's their number one. Great knowledge. Uh, Purvis Estupinen for Ecuador. Scored a good goal for um, Brighton the other day. Or yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It's all right. um, not a 5 out of 10 player. No, not at all. And uh, he finished on the stadium, the Lusail Stadium. That is where the final is going to be played, I believe. Or it's one of the big stadiums anyway. So it's difficult to judge that pack. It is really difficult to judge that back. So, Mark, Anthony, K. Uh, we have Mohamed Al Rubai. Herbis Estepinen, you've got Premier League player, of course. I think someone got Bernardo Silva last week, but that was our only good player. You've got the stadium, and, but you'd have got a very impressive 0 0 shiny. It's not a player. I mean, if we're ranking it on the actual stickers themselves, that's yeah. it's a uh, good looking. It's a good looking sticker. And I have to say, the Lucille Stadium is where the final's going to be played. And a Lucille Stadium as well. Okay. Again, there's no standout players in there. <laughs> no. I'm, gonna, I'm feeling generous and I'm feeling kind. So I'm going to put you level with Mark. You That's perfectly generous. Five out of ten. How does that sound? Thank you very much. Lovely stuff. I'm glad you, I'm glad you uh, approve of that. That, that, was one of the, that was one of the greatest paninis I've ever had. And I'm including all the sandwiches. 
Oh dear, no, that's, yeah, that's exactly why it's called What's in Your Panini. Oh, lovely stuff. Well, um, that drives us towards the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Mr. Tom Harry Jones, for joining us, talking us through the decade, the noughties of Wales as well. It's been a really interesting one to research and learn more about. And um, good luck at the World Cup. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Is there anywhere else where people can find you for your voiceover work or anything? You can touch uh, I'm on Twitter at Tom Parry Jones. I'm on TikTok at Tom dot Parry Jones, uh, and my Instagram is also Tom dot Parry Jones. Lovely stuff. Keep it simple, easy to find. That's the way. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we hope you've had the time of your lives on Team of Your Lives. We'll see you probably for the World Cup now on Dream of Our Lives. So we'll see you again next time. Look after yourselves and each other. Team. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sport Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.